Soil Sluts. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, The Soil Series. I'm your host, Adam Devlin. This series aims to get down and dirty in the details of what's beneath our feet. You may not realize, but the ground you're standing on contains whole societies of soil microbes numbering in the hundreds of billions that support all life on this planet. In our inaugural episode, we're going to find out who is living in this micro-universe, how we know they're there, and what the heck they do all day. To help us get started, we have Dr. Hannah Becker, Professor of Soil Science at Cornell University, here to discuss the soil environment and microbes. Hello, Dr. Becker. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm hoping that you can lay the groundwork for this episode. Uh, before we can really discuss microbes, we need to put their existence into context. Well, it's first important to understand the soil environment. We call this the rhizosphere which consists of plant roots, microorganisms like bacteria, protozoa, and fungi, and small macroorganisms like earthworms that help aerate and aggregate soils. Roots are a very important part of soils because they hold the soil structure together and don't exist well without one another. Microbial communities form symbiotic relationships with the roots of plants to break down organic matter and fix nitrogen so it can be used by plants. Very interesting. So the rhizosphere is essentially the microbiome in which microorganisms live. Uh, does this microbiome have any variability, say, uh, depending on what location you find the soil? Exactly. And yes, the way soils form and the properties they exhibit are highly dependent on their environment. There are five main factors that cause soils to form unique properties from one another. These are climate, organisms, relief, plant, plant parent material, and time. This first factor, climate, describes the general temperature and moisture conditions of an environment, which causes different weathering and leaching. Um, these seasonal changes also affect moisture, biological activity, chemical reaction rates, and types of plants in the soil. Organisms include plants, animals, microorganisms, and even humans, and their effect on soil formation. Relief describes the topography of a region, whether it has a steep or shallow slope, um, how hilly or flat the area is, what direction the land is facing. For example, a steep, a steep slope will erode much faster than a shallow one. Parent material describes whether the soil is formed from underlying bedrock or how the material has moved from a different location, like river sediments or glacial till. Um, Lastly, soils process continuously over time, uh, with horizons always changing with age. Hmm, so, soil formation sounds a lot more predictable than I imagine most people would have thought. So, those five factors come together and make what exactly? What is soil? Many people view soil as just the stuff we walk on, or the stuff that gets stuck underneath our nails. But it's actually much more than that. Usually, soil is made up of 25% gases, 25% water, 45% mineral particles, and 5% organic matter. Of course, some soils are drier than others, so the percentage of water and gases may vary. This is a very basic approximation of what soil is composed of to give people a better understanding of what makes up a soil. So now that we know what soil is, how do microbes fit into this equation? What's it like to be a microbe in this environment? Microbes are highly affected by water potential, excuse me, 
ore space, organic matter storage, and availability, nutrients, and aggregation, which are all associated with soil texture. The three soil textures are sand, silt, and clay, which are based on the size of each soil particle from largest to smallest. Microbial life exists in all types of soils, but it has special preferences for soils with a high input of organic matter, which provides nutrients for energy production, and a soil with a high surface area, like a clayey soil. And multiple niches are for different types of microorganisms to occupy instead of overcrowding just one niche. Sounds like microbes can get pretty choosy about their favorite soil. I think your point about preferences leads us into our next segment about classification, Doctor. Thanks for taking the time to give us a foundation. It's certainly not built on sand. <laughs> yep, you got that right. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I need to start a soil sample collection? Well, I sure have. And now we have a way to do that. Isn't that right, Claire? Yes, Adam, you are most certainly right. Now with the Soil Sample of the Month Club, you too can start your own collection of soils from around the world. Ever wanted to see a silty clay from Alaska, a loamy sand from Kabul, or even a muck from the Everglades? Well, we have all those and more. With your soil sample comes a glass jar for display and a trading card with a photo of the profile that the sample actually came from. Collect all of the profile cards and trade with your colleagues. Who can collect the Oxisol first? I personally like the Spotisol better, Claire. You can collect that card too, Adam. Don't worry, there's a soil sample to tickle everyone's fancy. You can order your kit subscriptions through this podcast in the link in the description or on our online site, soilsamplesarecool.net. Thank you to the Soil Sample of the Month Club for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Soil Series. Our next guest comes from the UC Davis College of Agriculture and Environmental Science. Dr. Kaufman is a microbiologist specializing in soil fauna classification. Glad to have you, Doctor. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I am happy to be able to share my knowledge with you and your listeners. I feel like it's easy for a layperson to hear the term soil microbes and assume that we're talking about a monolith, but that isn't true, is it? You're correct. That is a common misconception, as the soils beneath our feet are packed with diverse organisms ranging in size, shape, energy source, ecological function. In soils across the globe, there are chemotrophs, organisms that use electron transfer from reduced compounds for energy, autotrophs, or biota, who have the capacity to generate their own energy, and lithotrophs, which are organisms that are able to obtain energy from inorganic nutrients, and also many more. The soil environment allows for all sorts of adaptations to evolve in the microbiome. For another example, some soil bacteria are adapted to be able to survive in anaerobic environments or those lacking oxygen, such as saturated soils. This allows for soil processes such as oxidation reactions and organic matter breakdown to still take place in wetlands and other highly saturated or dense soils. Functions of soil biota range from organic matter decomposition and soil structure formation to being the basis of the food chain for higher trophic levels. The extent and importance of biodiversity in the soil environment cannot be understated, and we as biologists and soil scientists still have much to learn. Well, that sets up what we'd like to focus on. 
So how um, how do we classify these creatures that we can't see with our own eyes? With all the diversity found in soils, how do you even begin to go about that? So in soil microbiology, there are three main groupings of soil fauna. Microfauna, mesofauna, and macrofauna. Within the microfauna category, you would have your bacteria, fungi, and protozoans. These are organisms that range from 1 to 100 microns in size. Mesofauna, on the other hand, are the in-between organisms, such as the colimbola, nematodes, and mites, that measure from approximately 100 microns to 2 millimeters. Lastly, soil micro or macrofauna includes the organisms such as earthworms, common arthropods, and snails that measure 2 millimeters to 20 millimeters in size. So we've established that they're grouped by size. I would guess that size then has some importance on their function. What kinds of roles do we see these types of microbes play in soil health, and uh, how are they different from each other? Different soil organisms have different purposes with regard to soil health. For example, we have microfauna such as bacteria, which are the base of our soil food chain, as well as excellent decomposers of cellulose and pollutants that can resist natural breakdown. Fungi are able to break down complex compounds such as lignin, which is a common compound from fallen trees. Fungi are also, are also especially important in their mycorrhizal interactions with roots, which allows plant communi communities to more easily obtain water and nutrients. Mesofauna, like nematodes, are parasitic organisms that feed on plant tissue and can be devastating to crops. However, there are helpful soil mesofauna, such as microarthropods, that provide a food source for higher trophic levels and also are important in organic matter decomposition. Soil macrofauna, such as earthworms and arthropods, are extremely important with regard to soil structure and aggregate formation, and they have also been called ecological engineers. They are also a main part of the food web and provide sustenance for birds and larger above-ground insects. Hmm. Um, we've heard a lot in recent years about how our actions as a society have affected plant communities and our soil's ability to sequester carbon, but what about soil microbes? Is there any way to predict how soil fauna will respond to anthropogenic effects on climate? That's an interesting question, and human alteration of soils can greatly affect distribution and diversity of soil microbiota. As we continually till and apply pesticides and harsh chemical fertilizers to increase plots of land, we are destroying the natural soil environment. This takes a huge toll on diversity of the soil microbiome and disrupts the ecosystem function of a healthy soil environment. In another sense, it is very possible that we are going to see massive changes in soil microbiomes as climate change becomes exacerbated. As warming occurs, soils that have not been thawed in millennia will possibly become hosts for rapid organic matter degradation as environments become more favorable for habitation of different species of soil fauna. It will be interesting to see how soil micro and macrofauna adjust to these changes, and it is definitely a question that will continue to be studied as our climate is rapidly changing. Definitely will be interesting, and uh, I'm sure you'll be doing plenty of research that on that in, in the coming years. Well, thanks for joining us, Doctor. Thank you for having me. We'll be back shortly. Come one, come all to see the fantastic, color-changing Winogradsky column. Kids and adults of all ages will love the never-ending thrill of seeing seemingly boring soil column change colors overnight. And by overnight, we mean about a month or so. 
The Winogradsky column is the perfect gift for those who love to get creative with science and who also have a godly amount of patience. This easy to use kit comes with a jar for your soil, microbe food in the form of sugar packets, a soil knife, and a super scientist approved labeling kit. The only thing you have to provide is the soil and any old soil will do. Get it from your backyard, get it from your neighbor's yard, from your cousin's yard, any soil you want. You can get your kit by following the link in the description of this podcast and use code ADAMSOL. That's A-D-A-M-S-O-L. I repeat, A-D-A-M-S-O-L for 15% off your first order of the Winogradsky column. Welcome back, Dirt Daddies. In this episode, we've learned a lot about the microbial habitat and the roles they play, but there's a large piece to this bustle we're missing. How do we know all of this? We're dealing with small stuff here. How do we detect life that we can't even see with our own eyes? How can we even begin to quantify it? Those classifications we just talked about, those were on the scale of micrometers. Yet we have thousands of photos of bacteria and fungi. Our next guest will hopefully shed some light on the dark, proverbial crevices between grains of sand, silt, and clay. Dr. Talamy comes from Virginia Tech, where she studies plant microbial relationships. Welcome to the show, Dr. Talamy. Hey, Adam. Thanks so much for having me this week. Go Hokies. Ah, go Hokies, indeed. <laughs> so to start, for our more novice listeners, how were microbes first discovered in the soil environment? Or at least, what are some basic forms of detection? Yeah, no problem. Technology advances incredibly fast, so I can get your listeners up to speed. Common ways to observe microbial biota in the soil are through microscopy and nucleic acid hybridization. So those might sound like really big words, but they're used to describe some pretty big concepts. Microscopy gets us on a level that we can actually see microbes. That's smaller than sand grains, smaller than silt grains. We're looking at clay particles, which are about two microns in length. Um, and on those surfaces, we can actually see microbes and how they're interacting with each other wow. and kind of those micro environments that we wouldn't be able to see with our naked eye. It's almost an impossible scale to imagine. Um, and, and on that, I mean, this type of science, it sounds expensive. Do you ever have problems getting funding? What's your perspective as a public university faculty member? Yeah, so these microscopes or electron micro microscopes are extremely expensive and that observation would be correct. These methods do cost a lot of money, so smaller schools might not be able to support the research that I do. Um, I'm very fortunate to be a part of a large public university with a ton of funding. And it's also because I do a lot of work in agriculture. I can bring in grants from larger entities that really want to see what my research discovers. It's sad that this technology won't be accessible to everyone, but there are ways that you can observe microbes with objects from your own home. One easy way to observe microbial activity is by making a Winogradsky column. This is a jar filled with natural soil and a food source, think like sugar, flour, anything that microbes can eat, and then that column is saturated with water to send the microbes into an anaerobic state. After some time, colors will emerge and these reflect the types of microbes that are active in your soil. Again, these are usually anaerobic microbes, meaning that they don't use oxygen to respire. <clears throat> I'm a big believer in citizen science. It should be accessible to everybody, no matter who they are. This is especially true of soil science. Soil affects our daily lives, and more people should be exposed to how important that the soil microbiome is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Overall, I mean, that's a great message to hammer home, but especially what you said at the end there. The one thing we want, the one thing we want you listeners to take away is just how important soil is to literally everything. I mean, our climate, agriculture, everything. Those two things encompass mostly everything, but other <laughs> things as well. So let's switch gears now. Get to get to more of the to the harder stuff. Yeah. So according to NRCS. A teaspoon of good soil can contain upwards of 1 billion bacteria. How do we find these numbers? I have to imagine that performing research on microbes can be quite tedious. Yeah, so you would be right. When we take soil samples, analysis have to be performed as soon as possible to minimize the effects of storage. There are very strict parameters for storage, and samples are kept at low temperatures and are given time to thaw if needed. If samples are disturbed during storage, then changes can happen that leave them unrepresentative of the environment that they were taken from. Measurements of biomass or enzyme activity are very crucial to our study of microbial communities, so ensuring proper storage and pretreatment is extremely important. Mm, of course. So, once you know you have a good sample, what kind of analyses are you then running? Yeah, so one of the most important is measuring biomass to understand soil microbial responses to management practices. Um, think tillage, um, environmental changes, site disturbances, as well as many other factors affecting soil. Two of the most popular approaches to measuring microbial biomass are based on the CO2 evolution after soil samples are fumigated with chloroform. The chloroform fumigation incubation method was pioneered by Jenkinson and Paulson in 1976, involving killing microbes by 24-hour fumigation. After 24 hours, the chloroform is removed and the samples are and the samples release mineralized CO2 carbon dioxide over a 10-day incubation period. This mineralization comes from surviving microbes that use lysates produced by dead cells as a carbon and energy source. We can quantify the carbon released and relate it back to the amount of microbial biomass originally presented in the sample. Alternatively, the chloroform fumigation extraction method extracts and quantifies microbial constituents like carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, and phosphorus directly after the fumigation. Um, the organic carbon can be converted to biomass carbon using a calibration factor that has been established for different soil environments and represents microbial efficiency. Both of these methods provide their own benefits in different situations, and of course, there are many other factors that play a role in these extractions. Wow, so technical. I, I feel like I'm ready to go out now and do my own chloroform fumigation and incubation. Yeah, you should try it. Uh, and as an aside, I, I found it interesting that, um, I mean, you mentioned killing the microbes. It seems like there are a lot of methods to quantify, you know, the amount of some living thing in, in like the field of biology. And, and those methods, they require irreversible harm to that thing. And, and yeah, you see that across biology and, you know, it's, make it sound bad, but they're not senseless acts, obviously. I, they obviously serve a great purpose, but I always think it's just interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, what's a couple hundred million microbes compared to understanding billions and billions of others? I mean, like you said earlier, in a gram of soil, there are a billion microbes. So what we're killing is just a fraction of the soil environment. And you know, you can call me a microbial murderer, but the ends really do justify the means. Okay, microbial murder. Don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> so, uh, 
Where do you see our knowledge of soil microbes taking us in the future? So our field has developed so rapidly over the last 30 years, and it's exciting to wonder what's on the horizon. I think with the progress we've seen, we've undoubtedly have had new, more accurate methods for measuring all types of microbes. I think people will start realizing how integral this work is when it comes to how we understand the effects of climate change on our soil biome and on the rest of the world. Many studies just in the last 10 years have shown that our impact on the planet has reached even those microbial communities that I study in my lab, and we have yet to see what the far-reaching implications of that might be. Microbes are a large carbon storage, and we know that, that at that scale of rhizosphere plants and microbes are strongly reliant on each other. We need good ways to detect microbial life to more accurately represent how we are affecting these communities and to what degree. We can't just keep relying on old methods that we developed in the 70s. We need to constantly be evolving and learning in order to be effective and really make a change in our community. Yeah, that's science for you. There'll always be work to do. And that's a profound point to leave us on. Uh, thanks for sharing with us, Doctor. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, no problem, Adam. If your listeners ever have questions, they can reach me at 703-867-5309 or on campus in Blacksburg. Go Hokies. Hope you're out there listening. And just one last shameless plug for my new podcast. I just released my own mini series. It's about five episodes on soybean nodules called Soy Joy. Give it a listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. She did not pay us for that plug, but uh, you heard it here, soy joy. I guess we'll give that to you, since you were such a good guest. Thank you, thank you. That will do it for our first episode. Thanks for joining us for the first installment of this journey. Over the coming weeks, we'll be getting dirty with topics just like this one today. We hope you'll join us again next week as we explore the intersection of soil and chemistry. See you then.